the building, the materials, the maintenance. We talk about how it all matters to the healthy home in today's show on the podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 295. We are closing in on 300 shows and I want to welcome any new listeners. Boy, do you have one heck of a back catalogue to go through. When I think about today's subject alone, we've done at least 10, 15 shows in this realm Uh, and uh, the best way you can actually find what's been on the podcast before is when you go to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast, you have the option to click on a a bit of a directory by Lotox topic. So food, body, home, mind, environment, women's health, uh, healthy home. We have like subcategories. So if this is your jam right now and you really want to have a look at a whole bunch of shows related, you'll be able to go to that uh, directory and find them. To our regular listeners, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing the episodes on your socials and tagging me so I can see what your ahas, your big moments are, and which shows you're absolutely loving. Uh, As you know, we are an eclectic bunch here at The Low Tox Life, and I often get asked why. Like, isn't low tox just about environmental toxins? And yes, it is, but we have environmental toxins in our food. We have them in our home. We have them on our bodies. They affect our overall health. Uh, we have them in our mind and of course they then disperse out into the environment uh, thanks to our brilliant yet often toxic man-made endeavours. So that is why we go all over the place with this show and uh, one of the pieces of feedback I get from uh, new listeners is, wow, you cover so many different things and it's like a bit of a shock but uh, trust me, it's worth the ride. I know our regular listeners think so, and I love hearing that you love the variety. So thank you so much for your feedback. Um, today's show is a cracker. We could have gone double. Uh, it's long as it is. It's definitely a two cups of tea or a walk around the mountain kind of show. Uh, you might uh, want to get a pen, a paper, and make some notes. It's also that kind of show. Uh, and our regular listeners know what I'm talking about there. So Andy Pace is my guest today. And when I was researching, starting to build a couple of shows around very specific building materials, talking about even choosing a period from which to buy a home, clues on how to rent a home that's not going to be toxic and packed with indoor air chemicals from off-gassing or mould. I really wanted someone who had a huge body of work in their experience and who had experience on the materials side as well as on the healthy home construction um, and then living in and investigating when someone's sick and why that is side. And I wondered whether there was an individual like this. And Uh, A girlfriend of mine shared, uh, actually it was Jules Galloway who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. She shared an article from Men's Health about um, a a tragic chronic illness story that thankfully has a happy ending. Uh, And uh, it was actually an intensely emotional read for me as someone who has been through the 
is every home I ever live in going to make me sick? Am I ever going to feel well again? Uh, roller coaster. And um, Andrew Pace's name came up in this article. And so then I found him and uh, did a little bit of research. I thought, this guy sounds fantastic. Let's get him on the show. So Andy Pace is the guest today. He is a healthy home concierge. He's the founder of the Green Design Centre and a leading resource for homeowners and contractors looking to source products that are green and healthy and receive that expert consulting advice on designing and building or renovating, for that matter, a healthy home. So um, he has clients all around the world. And as the founder of the oldest healthy building supply company in the United States, uh, he's really become a go-to for many people who are helping clients with allergies, asthma, chemical sensitivities, or as I said, more on that detective side when it becomes about perhaps finding an issue, renovating and creating a healthier environment. So he has a lot of knowledge and it was pretty clear to me about halfway through this episode that we were going to need a part two. So consider this a part one and we are recording a part two very soon that you'll hear in a couple of months. I know you're absolutely going to love this show if uh, a healthy home is something you're passionate about and you want to expand your knowledge there. So I just want to mention uh, a couple of our wonderful sponsors. We have, of course, our major sponsor this year, Oz Climate. Do not forget that you have 10% off all year round off their already discounted prices for their wonderful dehumidifiers and air filters. Your code is LOTOXLIFE. Uh, you can call them if you're thinking, oh, I don't really know what size I need. A lot of people they think they need to go for a compact, a little one. And then uh, trust me when I say the average home, especially on ground level, especially in an East Coast situation or somewhere where it gets humid, you really do need one, if not two big, powerful 25, 30 litre style units. Um, if you're at all in doubt about what size of unit you need to pull that excess moisture out of your indoor air, the best thing you can do is give them a buzz. You can talk your floor plan, the layout, upstairs, downstairs, the whole bit, and they'll be able to consult you on the units that you need and um, the best way to avoid having to buy one for every room, like how you can move them through and get the maximum benefit. Um, We have a little compact that I run between the laundry and the bathroom it's on in the bathroom after the showers, just dries everything out. That means we don't have to clean mold in the bathroom. I really want to get everyone to a place where we are preventative in our mold strategy, as opposed to getting DMs about cleaning mold, because mold is very dangerous to clean, dangerous for you uh, as the spores kick up. Um, and of course, uh, dangerous because of often a lot of the chemicals that are used in cleaning mold. It is always better to try and remove the mold rather than clean the mold. Um, and that means sometimes, you know, scooping out grout and starting again with a tradie or, um, you know, cutting out a piece of drywall if you're talking about a bigger job, much better than thinking you can kill this stuff. It often morphs, it often becomes stronger, uh, kind of like um, if you think about the principle of antibiotics and antibiotic resistance, um, fungi is no different in that sense. It can often become stronger. It doesn't die when you bleach it. Uh, it doesn't die when you vinegar it. Often these things, because there's moisture in them themselves, they become food sources 
And so cosmetically you think you've fixed it, but then of course it comes back and kind of like cockroach baits, if they really worked, the cockroaches would not come back. So uh, we really need to think more preventative and I am such a huge fan of dehumidifiers. You hear me rabbit on about them all the time. Uh, please go check out Oz Climate's website and uh, see which one might be best for you. Of course, they have the Winix air purifiers as well. Uh, and it's been awesome seeing people get units for their bedrooms, especially people in the cities, uh, you know, or people who do a lot of cooking in a compact home. Cooking can create a lot of VOCs and it just cleans up that air. Fantastic if you've got a cat, but someone in the family keeps sneezing. Brilliant for that as well. There's so many reasons these appliances are so wonderful. So I appreciate Oz Climate very much. Now, New Kid on the Block in uh, giving you a special offer is Peak Chocolate. And I've had a few people already tell me what they've been trying from the range. Uh, they are a fabulous home, that, a fabulous uh, Australian business, actually probably five-minute drive from my house. And Raf, one of the founders, reached out and said, do you think this would be a good fit? Like we really want to find people who are passionate about health uh, and we really think we've got a great product. So they sent me a couple of bars and I had a taste and uh, I often eat a much darker chocolate to avoid the sugar. But here you get a, a really lovely creamy sweetness, almost like uh, a, a lighter dark chocolate. Let's call it a 60, 65 type percent. Um, and you don't have any of the sugar. And often we reach for the chocolate in between meals is a bit of a pick-me-up, a snack, and instead of getting your pick-me-up from sugar and crashing, in peak chocolate, you are actually getting it from the nutraceuticals that are put into the chocolate. So you have the energy, you have the focus, and you have, for the end of the day, the rest, which has a little bit of tryptophan uh, and some calming ingredients in it as well. So the most popular um, buys last week from you guys, the Lotox listeners, was the intro bundle where you get one of each to try, uh, all three types. I love uh, having a couple of squares of the energy before I hit the tennis courts. Uh, I love having a couple of squares of the focus if I'm bucket, uh, you know, battening down the hatches and getting a few hours of work done. And rest, we always have a little square after dinner now. Um, it's got a little bit of tryptophan and it just sends you off into la-la land. And actually they have a drinking chocolate, which they're just about out of, unfortunately, this month. So it'll take a little while to restock. First in best dressed, if you want to try the rest drinking chocolate, you have it about an hour before bed. And boy, does it help you sleep well if sleep is a little bit of a challenge for you. So... I'm a huge fan of this new brand. I think they've done a really good job at keeping the ingredients simple, keeping it useful, uh, getting that sugar out uh, and not making it taste awful in that sugar-free way. There's no um, uh, aspartum or any nasty sugars. It's all uh, alcohol sugars like your erythritols, maltolols. Um, and for that reason, you really don't want to have tons of it um, because we know that can make people a little bit gassy and that wouldn't be so great. But what a fantastic motivation for not overdoing it on the sugar in the first place. So you still get all the gorgeous benefits of dark chocolate but you get some added ones and you don't have the sugar. I really urge you to give it a try. Uh, you have LOWTOX20 as your code for 20% off your first order. Uh, I can't wait to hear how you go, which one's your favorite. For me, I've landed on the Focus 
and the rest drinking chocolate. They're my two favorites. Uh, So peakchocolate.com.au is the website and I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you get tons out of this conversation with the very knowledgeable Andy Pace. Andy Pace, hello. Hello. It's so nice to be here with you today. I'm very excited to chat to you. One of my um, love-hate relationship topics is healthy buildings because it Mm. can be awful when we're not in a healthy building, as I know only so well, and as your clients obviously know only so well. I want to start our conversation today by asking you where your personal passion for building health as a reflection of human health stemmed from. Mm. Boy, it's a great question. I think that the where it actually stems from is when I got started. So let's step back 30 some years ago. Uh, I get out of school and I ask my mom and dad if I can join the family business. And the family business at the time was a 60 year old company that sold commercial construction materials. Now, most kids during high school and college, if they're talking with their parents, they're talking about school and their jobs and sports and so forth. I remember when I was a kid sitting around the dinner table talking about architects and contractors and job sites, and I always had a fascination for the built environment. And I didn't know how I was going to find my place into this, but I just knew that I needed to get in, get my foot in the door. So I, I convinced my folks that it was a good idea for me to join the family business. They wanted me to pursue whatever I was interested in, and they didn't want me to just jump into the family business because that's what I'm supposed to do. But I really wanted to. So I, I remember after about a year of learning the, the business, learning the products that we sold, I was working on a project in um, downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, it's a city of about... Uh, one and a half million people in the metro area. So it's a fairly large city metro area. And I was supplying a concrete coating for a below grade parking structure to protect the concrete from oil spills and gasoline and so forth so it doesn't eat away at the concrete. Well, after my crew got done applying the primer coat, the very first coat, I had people all throughout the building calling down to the job trailer and complaining about the aromas, complaining that they, they're being driven out of their homes, out of their offices, uh, how strong the smells were. And, and I thought, and, and as this is my naivety at the time, I thought it's water-based. It, it can't be dangerous. It's a water-based coating. How can people be complaining about this? Well, I learned later on that water-based just means 50% of the liquid component is water. Yeah. The rest can be a whole host of solvents. Yeah. It's kind of like I didn't those. Know this at the time, it's kind of like this those, is 1992, 93. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like those dodgy cheese snack things that you get like for kids' lunches, and they say 50% real cheese. And you're like, yeah. well, what's the well, other 50%? Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> and so um you know, the, 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 the ultimate factor in this was three of my own workers stopped breathing. They couldn't breathe. They, they, well, I had to rush them to the hospital because of inhalation complications. As the coating was curing, and I didn't know this at the time, 
it was actually taking the oxygen out of the room during the curing process. And so they couldn't breathe down there. And I stopped the job. Uh, we searched all over the United States for coatings that would work, that wouldn't have these problems. We found something that, that everybody was, was uh, okay with and we finished the job. More importantly though, it scared the living daylights out of me. And I thought there is no way I want to be associated with products that would poison my, my clients, poison my workers. My family's business had a reputation, a very good reputation for 60 years plus. I wasn't going to spoil that. So I decided to make it my mission in the company and ends up, you know, I started a spinoff company doing this was to sell nothing but toxin-free common sense building materials. And I, I ne never once more in my life did I ever want to be accused of selling something that was making people sick. It's just a, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible situation to be in. I could imagine. And at least it was for me. So that, that was it. Uh, I just said, this is what I need to do. And fast forward 30 years. And now we've curated thousands of products that we can help our clients build homes, remodel um, commercial office spaces. And I help people all over the world uh, in consultation practice. I walk them through the process with their builders, with their architects, whatever they have, just to make sure they're using the right materials for the right situation. Yeah. Wow. And what was in the other 50%? Sorry, you probably don't remember, <laughs> but I'm curious. Do you remember? Well, you know, as far as I recall, uh, it was in this again, this is 1992, 93. So um, uh, toluene, um, acetone. Oh, yeah. And other types of um, uh, spirits and dryers. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing, uh, the funny thing, the scary thing about this, I should say, is even today, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a bit, but to, even in today's environment and climate of, of environmental regulations, solvents like acetone are completely allowed to I be know. used mm. in zero VOC formulations of paints and coatings, and they do, it doesn't have to be disclosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, it's like the food industry, isn't it? If, mm -hmm. if, if the oil, let's say you buy a canola oil, I mean, right. I'm not suggesting anyone does because vegetable oils <laughs> are pretty inflammatory, but they don't have to disclose because it's an oil and because technically the particles would resemble identically to uh, genetically modified versus non-genetically modified. They don't have to say that that comes from a genetically modified agricultural practice. Um, in the oil market, for example. Right. So we have these examples in all forms of industry. It's like, you know, let's play the game of who can who can protect themselves from the largest loophole. And well, exactly right. Awful. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I actually will argue and I have for my entire career that the regulations that are put onto businesses, corporations, manufacturers, in, in many respects are actually detrimental mm. and they, the unintended, unintended consequence of trying to do the right thing to help the environment is actually poisoning the human occupants of that environment. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, 
it's an interesting conundrum. Like I'm thinking now about all the examples in skincare, in perfumes, like it's everywhere, this loophole situation. And it's really driven by the profit first as the key and main metric of function in a company's existence. And yeah, there's, um, uh, I was reading a passage from a friend who was preparing for a talk and, and they were saying, it, the only way we fix this is through morality, like good people changing the way to do business, changing the, the metrics, saying, okay, yes, profit, because that means the company stays afloat, but also mm, with human health and with planet care, not either or. And that's really where we have to go. I completely agree. I think that you know the question always comes up about the regulations, the governmental regulations and so forth. Isn't that helping um, the business? Isn't that helping the marketplace? Well, in some respects it is, in other respects it's not. And I think that whenever you give large corporations uh, a set diagram of what they're not supposed to use, or it's a, you know, a set ingredients list, let's say, uh, look at the, you know, the Proposition 65 chemicals or the Red List chemicals. Um, you know, there, there, so there's 200 and some chemicals we're not supposed to use in manufacturing, which means these other 90,500 chemicals are perfectly legal. Well, that's not really the right way to go. I remember here in the States, I was working with, there was a, a, a Senator from New Jersey, Senator Lautenberg, and he was working on, he had a committee on rewriting our Safer Chemicals Act here. And the discussion came up of what chemicals should be added to that list. And I was asked for, imp for input on this. And my response was, all of them. Put every single chemical that has been invented on this list which means that every manufacturer has to disclose exactly what they use. And let's allow people then to either do their own research, hire a researcher, read a book that has the research done for them. So they know they have an educated opinion on what they can use and what they cannot. When you tell companies you can't use these 200 and some chemicals, and if you use anything else, you don't have to disclose it. <laughs> yeah. That's now we're just the, the, the free market doesn't really um, get a chance to to decide what happens is the decision gets made based upon class action lawsuits, people getting sick. Enough people getting injured and eventually somebody takes notice. Well, let's see where that has gotten us. We're still using formaldehyde, urea formaldehyde at a rate that's just, it's a tragic amount we use every year in our buildings. Yet we know, we know it's a carcinogen. We know how dangerous it is, uh, but we still use it. Well, it's not illegal. Why isn't it illegal? Well, the lobbyists have had, they've spent enough money so that uh, that, that chemical never gets added to a red list. Mm. 
Yeah, gosh, that made me think of the Teflon example in, yes. uh, in frying pans and, mm-hmm. and how if it stops being able to be used in one thing, so formaldehyde in the perfume industry, for example, right. they're going to start looking for other avenues of income streams. You know, they're not, not going to shut down the factory uh, oh, right. and lose all their profits. So they're like, where can I get this across the line legally? And what do you do when you go and buy your kid's uniform? We have to wear uniforms here in Australia. Uh, for public school, you see a little tag on the uniform that says um, Teflon as the brand um, for easy care, zero creases and low stain. And you think those little suckers found somewhere (laughs) else to put this forever chemical that was legal. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and so it's, how much of this can we really tolerate as a people, not only physically, but how much do we really want to tolerate in our lives? Just having to do this over and over again, having to find materials, having to navigate this, the system to, to, to actually find the truth. Mm-hmm. And years ago, you started seeing these third party organizations pop up you know, Green Seal and Green Guard and, you know, Okiotex and all these companies that have come out to basically be a third-party certifier to say, this meets our standards, so it should be okay for you to use. Mm. But then, and I don't want to, you know, I'm sure the conversation will get to positive things, but for right will. now, I yes. just have to complain a little bit uh, <laughs> that the these third-party certifiers are really nothing more than pay-to-play organizations. So the largest corporations who have the deepest pockets can take the test as many times as they need to, to finally get a passing grade. And that's what they publish. And so I have a lot of skepticism over that. Uh, when manufacturers state things like their products, uh, they don't use any formaldehyde in, their, in the manufacturing of their product. We all think that means formaldehyde free, yet let's take the carpet industry well, carpet manufacturers aren't making the fiber. They're buying the fiber from somebody else and they're buying it pre-dyed. So when they buy pre-dyed fabri- fabrics, fibers, and put it into the carpet to create the carpeting, they can say, we don't use any formaldehyde in ah, the manufacturing. Because they the technically don't. The fiber yes. and stained it uses formaldehyde in the stain. Ugh. So it's legal. It's very, very... Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's unethical, but it's legal. Mm. Yeah. And again, it's a language loophole. Correct. So, you know, you, with processed food, you see all the ticks on the front. You see gluten-free, dairy-free, additive-free. You turn it over, you look at the real story because thank, thankfully in food, we at least get to see the real story. And you're like, oh, that's a whole bunch of stuff. I have no idea what that is. Um, so just because someone uses a couple of free-froms, it never tells us the full story. And the danger in the building industry is you don't even get to know the full story because you can't just flip it over and look at all of the ingredients. That's exactly right. And, and very few companies are doing full product declarations, full ingredients. And if they are, it's an on your honor system. So you have to trust that they're putting the right information in there. And that's kind of hard to trust companies these days. Um, Honestly, the materials that we are involved with, that we promote or recommend or even sell, 
these are materials that have a track record of working very well for people with extreme sensitivities. Um, I don't like to sell anything that I haven't used myself. I don't like to sell anything that I don't have at least a few years of, of uh, research done with past customers. Uh, and I, I have a number of clients of mine that sort of act as like, you know, I hate to say it, but they, they, they'll call the themselves pigs. Yeah. Canaries. They want to try it first. Mm. They want to try it first and let me know if it's something that they should uh, or, or should be uh, promoted to anybody with a uh, depressed immune system. Yeah, I'd be one of those. You could just put a little a little swatch of anything in front of me like, yeah, that's not going to work, Andy. Yeah, exactly so. right. <laughs> exactly. And so that's what we use. That's our criteria. Of mm. course, I look at the third party certifications. I look at whatever declaration lists and whatever testing's being done to these materials. I do my own testing. I actually uh, do a, a formaldehyde release test on everything we sell just to make sure that they're not hiding from aldehyde in any ingredients. Mm. Um, so we go through those things, but for the most part, what we sell, we know has, has had a track record of, of actually doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And over the last 30 years that you've been involved in clean building materials, um, you've obviously been involved in building design, therefore, um, because then, you know, things go on walls and cabinetry gets put up and, have you seen any actual improvements as the industry sought to modernize um, or has it all been about better, faster, cheaper, quicker, and has it actually gotten worse? Yeah, I would <laughs> say there's a little bit of both, mm. but for the consumer, it's, mm, boy, okay, maybe I'll say for me. For me, it's gotten easier because the more experience I have at looking at the manufacturer's data, at the research that's out there, the easier it's gotten for me to, to pick out the words that have um, a meaning that they're trying to hide or they're trying to uh, maybe have a double meaning for certain words. Um, I, I've been able to pick out the greenwashing. The downside is for consumers, while the availability for healthier cleaner building materials is certainly greater than it was 30 years ago. And an example I'll give you there is 30 years ago when I started selling these materials, I had a brand of paint made here in the States called AFM Safe Coat. And then I had a brand of natural linoleum flooring made in the Netherlands called Forbo Marmoleum. So 30 years ago, I had two companies I could work with that I could trust the materials that they made. Today, I have probably over a hundred manufacturers that I can be um, quite certain that those materials will meet our criteria. The downside is every manufacturer of building materials that's out there will claim some type of green or eco-friendly attributes to their materials so because of the fact that now you have 2000 manufacturers that are saying that their products are healthy or green consumers are having a harder time actually wading through that so there's more available that truly is healthy but there's there's 
much more out there that isn't and manufacturers are, are just basically trying to you know pull the wool over their eyes so it's, oh, wow. it's a little bit of both okay and uh something that um is getting caught in the crossfires of health right now is the green energy type of building that's built yes. airtight yes. um but then of course restricts airflow severely and creates issues from that perspective do yes. you want to talk a little bit about that as well because i know that's I, a passion sure for I, I think this is a very big portion of the problem we're, we're having right now yeah now in order to talk about what's happening today let me talk about what happened 50 years ago and 50 years ago um in let's say in the early 70s we had the opec oil embargo and which meant that opec the opec nation stopped producing um pumping oil and producing gasoline and so forth and the cost of energy skyrocketed building supervisors building maintenance people and then eventually architects engineers and contractors started tightening up the buildings cutting down on the air circulation to cut down on the cost to to uh, heat and cool these buildings so this is when sick building syndrome started the early 70s because of this. Now, throughout that process into the 80s and 90s, manufacturers started making building materials cheaper, faster, more plastics, um, trying to keep the price down because we were in a global um, recession. And we started having these this um, almost the perfect storm of bad circulation, cheapened building materials, and then when the energy efficiency craze really started in the mid nineties, they said, all right, let's tighten up these buildings so they don't naturally breathe. And now we're essentially building these toxic boxes. So since the early nineties and to today, so 20 years later, we've had an improvement on how, how, how buildings are built, how homes are built with understanding the science behind how you do this, understand a little more about building biology, but we're still not utilizing materials that are healthy for the occupant. We're, we're building with materials that are eco-friendly, that are energy efficient, that are meeting the global environmental um, uh, requirements, but still people with depressed immune systems, allergies, asthma, chemical sensitivities can't live comfortably in these homes because the materials themselves are off-gassing toxic chemicals. Hmm. Could that be why we're looking for a place at the moment? Could that be why I walk into some of the new buildings, um, you know, that developers kind of put up and it looks great because you've got a park and a gym and a pool and all this kind of mod con stuff. Uh, and, um, but I feel like I can't breathe walking through these properties and yet here i am in our dinky little apartment that we emergency airbnb'd at one point and turned into a lease because my son and i felt well here um and it is a 1910 built first apartment building in this suburb actually here in inner sydney in 1910 double brick and uh we feel great and there's even carpet uh, and you know, so it, for me, it's like everything I thought I knew about being a mold sensitive person 
and needing to chase a certain type of house in the early stages got completely disrupted when we found this place. And we were like, okay, nothing on paper says we should be well here, um, but actually this is the best we've ever felt. So I, I can say that well, a couple of things. Homes built 100 years ago, buildings built 100 years ago, they had natural breathability to the walls. And why is that? Because they didn't care about energy efficiency back then. It wasn't about cutting down on your energy use in order to cut down on your energy bill. I mean, people were just happy to have electricity and heat, you know, and so uh, they didn't have to be perfectly comfortable, right? Um, we've changed our needs over the last 100 years. You know, our needs have evolved. The other thing is houses built today versus 100 years ago, you know, un the unintended consequence of trying to do the right thing to build energy efficient and eco-friendly sometimes means the indoor air quality may not be as good as you'd like it. And the reason for that is most of the building scientists out there can't tell the difference between human-friendly and eco-friendly. They think eco-friendly is the end-all be-all. They think that if, if it meets, you know, let's use the lead require, if it meets, you know, lead platinum, that's, a, that's the best we can do. Mm. Well, I have friends and clients that have sensitivities that can't walk into a lead platinum building because of the toxicity. Why is that? Well, because we use the wrong metric. I believe that the entire industry uses metrics like VOC content, which is fine if you want to measure outdoor smog and air pollution, but inside of a space, smog is not a worry. We don't have high levels of nitrogen in our buildings. We don't have high amounts of UV rays in our buildings. Smog cannot be created inside of a building. So why do we worry about VOCs? Well, because some VOCs are dangerous to humans. That's correct. And some VOCs are not. And there are thousands upon thousands of chemicals that are used in building materials that are extremely dangerous to humans that are not classified as VOCs. We have no metric for those. We have no regulation for those. And the reason is because VOCs are being used as um, as what we're supposed to look for, but it really doesn't it doesn't tell enough of a story. And so it may meet lead platinum, but if the carpet is releasing trichloroethane, you know one 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 trichloroethane, well, here in the states, the EPA has made that a specific exemption because it doesn't contain it doesn't actually create a low level smog. It's not photocatalytic. Acetone, Ooh, for ammonia. The, hold on. For the beginner's mind, photocatalytic. Explain. It, it, won't, uh, it won't react to UV. Got it. And, and create smog. Mm -hmm. So it's not and an so, off. Does that mean it's um, not an off-gasser kind of thing? Well, it is an off-gasser. Okay. And this is the thing. Mm. Um, a VOC is any carbon-based molecule that's readily vaporized at room temperature. Okay. So um 
look at uh, ethylene glycol. Very simple one to understand. Ethylene glycol was used in paints and coatings up until about two years ago. Um, ethylene glycol is also antifreeze for your car. Highly toxic to humans. Um, ethylene glycol has a VOC rating because it will contribute to outdoor air pollution. Propylene glycol, which is a close cousin to ethylene, is also a VOC. It'll also contribute to outdoor air pollution, but it's also a food-grade additive. It's completely harmless to humans, especially in the low levels that it's used in paint. Yet, it's looked, they're both looked at as VOCs. Got it. Acetone, which is nail polish remover, if you've ever used that junk, mm. highly toxic to humans, it's not photocatalytic. It will not react and create low-level smog, even though it will off-gas. It is carbon-based, but it won't actually react. So the EPA says, well, then you, you can use it and you don't have to disclose it because we don't care. And the industry says, well, we just don't care about that because it doesn't actually cause outdoor air pollution. It may poison people, but there is no um, regulation, at least here in the States, for toxins that affect humans. It, it usually has to do with outdoor air pollution regulations first. Yeah. Gosh, well, that just that's just upside down for creating a healthy house inside. It is, which is why it's made it so difficult. Between that and the greenwashing of the manufacturers, it's made it very difficult for homeowners to actually get what they really need to get. They have to rely on, they do research. Well, what does research consist of? Going on to Google and looking up information on Google, and what you'll find is, either manufacturers information or information that manufacturers pay bloggers to write. And it's just essentially regurgitating the bad information. Um, I encourage people to reach out to companies, to people like you and I, others around the world who actually focus on this and can give you the right information um, really without prejudice. Yeah. Would I love you to, if you bought the materials that, that we sold? Of course. But as a, as a consulting client, I would rather have you find the right materials locally from a local store that you can pick up today um, and, and make sure that your home is built or remodeled in a healthier manner. Yeah. So, Andy, could we go through a couple of basic materials that someone would consider, say, in a small renovation, like even just a fresh coat of paint or choosing new cabinetry for their kitchen? that they're remodeling and can we step through what you would recommend someone do to find that local product so let's start let's start with paint paint now i i i don't know what's available um for you locally but i can tell you that manufacturers all over the world are making zero voc paints of course um but i would also look out for other types of language on the labels is it human friendly? Is it made without toxins or is it low toxin? Uh, these words are becoming more um, uh, readily available on, on labels because manufacturers all over the world are, are realizing that if their product truly is healthier, they need to tell people and they will get business. Uh, I would also rely on friends and family who have been in similar situations, rely on 
podcasts and blogs that specialize in, in talking about these things. Um, I know that I have worked with some people. Um, I've worked with, with people just about every country in the world over the last 30 years. And I can say that people will go to any length they need to, to get the products that they need. But um, the average zero VOC paint that isn't toxin free can off gas anywhere from two and a half to four and a half years after it reaches a full cure. And so we want to find the healthiest materials available. Generally speaking, if you can't find traditional latex paints, which are acrylic water-based acrylic paints, then try to find a mineral-based paint. Mineral paints will generally be much healthier after a full cure than plastic paints will be. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And so that's something to look out for as well. And there's several brands of this all over the world. Yeah. Um, understand in a home that 90% of the toxicity issues that you're going to face inside of that home will come from the things that you see and touch on a daily basis. And I know in our industry, we worry about insulation and we worry about windows and we worry about caulky materials and drywall and sheathing. Well, a lot of these things are, are parts of components that you don't, you never see. Um, and so of course we worry about those, but that's only 10% of the equation. 90% will come from your flooring materials, your wall finishes, your cabinetry and woodwork, and then your own personal furnishings, your furniture, your paintings, your window treatments, things like that. So I always concentrate on those items first. And so although painting a room is a very small thing you can do to fix up the room, ultimately, it's the second most dangerous thing you could do if you don't choose the right material. So uh, finding, finding products, asking the questions, asking friends that have been through this before. And of course, reaching out to professionals is always the best way to go. Mm, absolutely. Um, so let's move to the cabinetry then, because a lot of people renovate their kitchens and bathrooms and choosing that cabinetry is usually done on an emotional visual appeal basis. Um, so we need to dig under that and actually think about the health impacts of these everyday interactions with cabinets. What are we looking for? So I am looking for a couple of things. Um, first of all, there's very few cabinets today are built out of solid wood. Most cabinets, they, there's, there's really only a few different components of a cabinet, right? You've got a plywood or MDF that's used for the boxes and then a veneer of hardwood over that. You've got um, solid wood that's used for doors and drawer fronts. You've got adhesive that's used to put the pieces together and fasteners to put them together and then your hardware. So they're not very complicated items. There's not a lot of moving parts. The plywood, the MDF, this is where you're going to get most of the formaldehyde off-gassing from if you don't choose wisely. Uh, we're looking for no added formaldehyde or no added urea formaldehyde, NAUF. There are a number of plywoods and MDFs on the market right now that use an ingredient as an adhesive or a binder within called phenolic resin or phenol formaldehyde. This is okay, actually, to use because... 
Phenylformaldehyde is about 200 times less likely to ever become airborne. Um, I have tested uh, plywood, OSB, and MDF made from these phenolic resins, and they do not test for formaldehyde because it doesn't, doesn't become airborne. Um, the wood glues that are used, most wood glues will contain urea formaldehyde but there's so little of it that's actually used and so little that could be as exposed that I'm not too concerned about it in the long run. In the manufacturing of it, I feel bad for the ladies and gentlemen who are putting these together because they're exposed to it. But inside of your home, you really won't be exposed to that. Then there's the finish. The finishes are just like what you would use for your walls, but typically a, a higher durability rating, higher stain resistance, they're mar resistance, you know, much more durable. Uh, these are also subject to off-gassing, potentially up to two to four years after they reach a full cure. Um, so you got to look for, if you can, I like finding finishes on cabinetry and furniture that's called UV cured. Uh, this is where you put a piece of furniture or a cabinet um, after it's been sprayed with the coating, you put it through a there's a conveyor system that brings it underneath a lamp and it's, it shoots UV rays at this liquid and it actually cures it almost instantaneously. Wow. And when you do that, it actually, um, it, it, and I, and I'm not trying to get too technical here, but it, it, it rids all of the free monomers that could become airborne after cure. So it completely catalyzes the coating. Got and it. so woods that are UV cured, whether it's a cabinet or a furniture or even wood flooring, these finishes do not off gas. Amazing. Um, and the likelihood of the average rental property <laughs> doing a quick, uh, you know, you see in the ads, um, freshly renovated top to bottom and painted. Um, would you say the average situation is one to stay away from and to actually gravitate, especially if you know you're sensitive? towards something that hasn't been freshly painted and renovated. Yes. I actually did a podcast about this a couple of years ago. And uh, what I recommended to folks was to, if you're in the market for finding a new apartment to move into, and you know, you have sensitivities, I'm looking for, I'm probably talking to the building manager, the, the rental agency of the apartment complex a month or two before you actually need to make a decision and asking them that if they have one coming up, can you please not renovate it for me? You know, wow. I understand what I'm going to get, but, um, and if it does require some renovation at that point, maybe we can talk about the materials being used because I'd like to make sure that those materials aren't going to poison me. Mm. Now, likelihood of that happening in Sydney listen? is like yeah. <laughs> 1 yeah. to zero. Exactly. Yeah. But it does happen. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, I have a couple of clients I'm thinking of that have hired me over the years to help them find apartments, whether I had one client in Los Angeles and I had one client in um, um, a city in Spain. Mm -hmm. And they said, help me find an apartment that I can live in. And we actually went through listings together and we found some that would probably work. And, and, yeah, maybe that it needs some work, but I'd rather be living in a space that's not poisoning me. And maybe it's not the most attractive space, but it's not killing me. 
Yeah, exactly. Honestly, that's how I feel about here. It's like an old little pokey apartment, but I feel great. And the gratitude that I have for that alone makes it honestly my favorite place I've lived in years. I just love it. I suppose. That just makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so looks like the sensitive folks do better to move into something rough and ready and actually making a few small adjustments yourself with the non-toxic products that you find to use. Oh, right. And I find that whether you're renting or buying Mm -hmm. a, a space, buying a home, if it were up to me, I'd find something that was built between five and 10 years ago that hasn't been remodeled yet. That would be ultimately the best way to go. Now, in your situation, when you find something that's 100 years old, that's way before uh, some of these problems even started to exist. Um, and over that 100 years, They've been they've probably been able to remediate for issues that came up in the 60s and 70s with asbestos and lead. Uh, If there was a mold problem in the building, it's probably been dealt with right Uh, now homes and and apartments that have built been built between five and 10 years ago. You'll find that all the paints and coatings in the space have fully off gassed. They're fully coalesced. Um, Flooring materials. They may still be off-gassing a little bit, but not nearly as much as the first five to 10 years. Insulation, cabinetry, you name it. It's, it's, it's on the downswing, okay? Um, mold problems, this is the only area where you do have to be careful because if it's a, if it's a, a home or an office building built in the last 10 years and it was built very shoddily, um, there could be issues but you have to let your own senses sort of dictate. Um, and homes built in the 80s and 90s, I kind of avoid. This is when they were playing with materials. They didn't know what really worked, what didn't work. And if it's lasted this long without a total gut job remodel, there's going to be problems. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say from <laughs> huge amounts of places we've lived over the last, uh seven uh, 12 years that I would agree the 90s in particular it was a time when a lot of people with new money built apartment blocks and you've got this own single owner situation with all the apartments and they cut every possible corner and uh we I remember the first week we moved somewhere before I knew mold was anything other than just this annoying thing you had to clean in the bathroom sometimes um, a slug came up through uh, um, the bathroom drain and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I noticed a few like little cracks in the tiles and water would just kind of be pulled there um, whenever it rained. And I was like, what's that about? But, of course, that was just waterproofing not done at all on the slab and um, green couches five months later. It was yeah, and I remember, like, retrospectively, I think, oh, that, you know, I couldn't breathe. I remember not being able to breathe when I was reading my son a book at night. Like, why couldn't I breathe? Of course, it was toxicity, mold toxicity. Um, and we, yeah, we reported it but got evicted. That's the situation in Australia. It's awful. Um, we have very low 
uh, uh, tenant rights at this point in time. A lot of us are, are championing a new story, which is exciting. It's building now in awareness. But um, yeah, I can, I can oh, I could tell you some stories, Andy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's scary to think about how we've lived and yeah. and and what we've all been through. And but you know, in 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 eighties and nineties, uh, especially the nineties when you know, when I got started in the early 90s, by 1997, 98, all the way through the late 2000s was like the green building boom worldwide. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I remember these homes going up and companies touting how green they were for being energy efficient and this and that. Well, they forgot about the fact, you know, you've heard the old adage, a home needs to breathe. Yeah. Well, quite honestly, the home doesn't care. The humans occupying the home need to breathe. Mm. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> how do you allow that to happen? Well, you've got to have fresh air, purified air. You've got to have air that's not then tainted with mold and humidity and, and, and toxicity and so forth. And so these homes are going up to be very, very energy efficient. And they were getting maybe one to two air exchanges per day, full air exchanges per day. That's just basically a, just right on the cusp of being livable. But they were energy efficient. They met the regulations for being eco-friendly. So after that, we realized, wait a second, maybe we should introduce fresh air into the mix. Maybe we should put in air exchange systems, you know, and, and actually you know, do something to help the occupants. And so this is why the homes built the year 2012, 13, and, and, and you know, later uh, are, are going to be healthier than the homes built prior to that, because before that, we really weren't thinking of things like, oh, the human occupants of this home, maybe, maybe we need to, to look out for them too. Now, builders are not, you stated this perfectly early on, it's, it's all about the profits. Uh, very few builders are out there to actually do the right thing for their clients. They're out there because, you know, they have a business. They're trying to make a profit. But there are more and more companies that, and I look at even like our company, yes, we're a for-profit company, but the morals and values that we use to guide us on how we make those profits, I, I couldn't live with myself if I was selling such dangerous materials and just, you know, laughing all the way to the bank. I'm, I'm, I'm always afraid of the person calling up and saying, Hey, wait a second. You told me this two years ago, and now I found out it's something else. How could you do that to me? And so I think we do have to police ourselves. We do have to, it's, it starts with you and I, and then hopefully that, that spurs on others that will also run a business in a moral and ethical way to do right by their clients. A hundred percent, Andy. And I think a lot of it comes down to just being brave enough to be present. You know, you often see um, uh, on TV, like if there's a senator hearing happening on the floor and you see some of the guys on their phones, like they're totally disengaged if it's not their party talking, for example. And you think the horrific thing that the other person's actually saying right now you're, you're just tuning out. And the reason I firmly believe is the only way you can move forward with agendas that hurt people and planet 
is by completely staying tuned out to them because the human spirit and heart cannot accept that as a reality if you're really, really present to it. And if you're looking at that person in pain because of the consequence of your actions or decisions, um, you know, and this is, it's, it's the world we need to change, right? It's, it's so, I mean, we could list billions of examples right now. And when it comes to building, I think it's so excellent that you had that example in that very early part of your career where you're a good young guy and mm-hmm. you see that the thing you're doing is hurting people and you can't live with that, right? Right. And I will say this. I think the fact that we came at it from a human standpoint first uh, means a lot more. And I guess, how do I describe that? I everybody would I, I don't know anybody who wants to live in the in a world that has dirty air, dirty water, you know, um that 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 is um living in a world where we are essentially poisoning where we live. Nobody wants that. But the whole thing has become so politically charged on on all sides. And so, but I look at human health and I say, well. If I can help a family who has a seven-year-old with autism, and that child now can can actually live in his bedroom, and the and the materials used aren't making his symptoms worse, or if I can help the family who has an elderly parent living in the house and they can actually breathe in the home, um, though I guess the way I look at it is to be environmentally friendly or to be to be human friendly is to be environmentally friendly the opposite is not necessarily true but large corporations large nonprofits all over the world have focused on the environment because you can claim anything you want because the environment can't sue you yeah. <laughs> right yeah. humans can so mm. let's not we're not going to claim things we can't actually uh, back up mm. and so um, my motto years ago, and I still use this today, you know, within the business is what good is saving the environment if we're still poisoning all the occupants. Mm. And I believe that there are others out in the world that know so much more than I do about outdoor environmental issues. I, I do not claim to be an expert whatsoever with that indoor environments human health issues with an indoor environment, the building biology of, uh, of the, the built environment. That's what I'm an expert in. I'm going to do my little part. And if I can, if I can just focus on that and let others worry about the other things, I think we just all need to do our part. Um, and, and, you know, somebody told me years ago to stay in my lane. You know, if oh, I don't know goodness. anything about something yeah. else, I shouldn't be spewing my opinions. And, and I, I actually do agree with that within the business realm and within, you know, selling, I just, um, I just believe that uh, we, we can't be out for profits a hundred percent. We also have to look at the person as to, are we actually helping them? Mm. And sometimes the best help I can give them is to tell them to not do anything. Don't buy my products. Don't pay for my consulting because the situation you're in right now is as good as you're going to get. I would just stay where you are. Yeah. Wait a few years. Yeah. And it doesn't help me at all to, to tell them that. But at the end of the day, you know, 
I, I just rather do the right thing. And I think more people need to have that same mentality. Yeah, that's it. Well, thank you, Andy Pace's mum and dad. You did a good job. (laughs) 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 Um, So I feel like, and I was thinking um, back to what we were talking about before, because I really want people to take away just a few things that they can roadmap with in their choices that they're making coming up. And I feel like we talked about all the components of kitchen and bathroom cabinetry, but we didn't then talk about, okay, so here are the, top two things you can then do to select something that's not going to be um bad sure well and then that's it's a little difficult just because of not knowing exactly what's available everywhere but again you got to look for products that that meet those criteria or go towards those criteria if you can't find that general rule of thumb is cabinets that are finished with solid colors like painted finishes versus a, a, a wood stain with a clear coat, painted finishes off gas less than stains and clear coats. So if you have to go to a, a big box retailer and buy the least expensive thing they have because that's all you can afford, and you have a choice between a white cabinet and a um, an honey oak stained cabinet, get the white. From a health standpoint, that's gonna be healthier. All right. Um, and then the big picture. We all want healthy air, clean water, and a, you know a good environment to live in. Um, even whether you're renting or owning, you don't have to redo what you have. But as you make improvements, just try to make an improvement that meets the best criteria you can create for yourself. This is another thing that our industry is has a problem with: is that Everybody wants to make a checklist of what you should use and what you shouldn't use for each and every individual that I've worked with. And I've worked with over 30,000 people in my career. Everybody has different criteria. Some of it is aesthetic driven. Some of it is how quick they can get it. Most of it is, is price. Most of it is, is health. Uh, But you have to create the criteria for you. All right. What's most important. Does it meet that criteria? Does it get as far? Does it get far enough towards that that I can feel comfortable making this decision? And then you also have to look at: Do you actually have health issues that you have to be concerned about while you're purchasing materials, or are you just trying to do the right thing? Um, and sometimes we 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 try to do the right thing so hard that we're we're missing the forest through the trees. You know, just do what you can do with it within reason. Um, if there is a health issue you're looking for, then then try to find the information from the suppliers, from the trusted resources that are out there, like you and I, that can help guide you um, and at least give you uh, a bit of advice based upon, you know, what your criteria is. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, uh, this environmentally friendly or the recycled materials thing that's coming up now, that's something I'm really mephient of for the yes. simple fact that I think about um, plastics, for example, and <laughs> everyone's yes. so excited that mm-hmm. we're reusing all this ocean plastic to make cabinetry and bench sure. tops. And right. I'm like, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> have we thought about the hormone disruptive aspect of off-gassing of these materials? Yeah. No, um, we haven't. 
Yeah. Okay. So can you talk to me about what you've seen in, in your sure. research of these new materials coming out? I will give you two examples of this. Yeah. Um, the first example would be vinyl. Everybody knows what vinyl is, right? Yeah. Um, I would not want to be, again, the, the, the man or woman making this stuff in the manufacturing facility. Mm-hmm. But within the built environment, there are some vinyl materials that are actually okay. As in PVC? Well, not necessarily PVC. Uh-huh. Uh, but so you brought up the idea of recycled plastics. And so let me talk on that. When you buy a vinyl floor, and right now the biggest uh, trend in flooring that I see is what's called LVP or LVT, luxury vinyl planks, luxury vinyl tiles. These are vinyl floors that are um, floating, click and lock together. With these materials, most of them are made with recycled plastics, recycled vinyl content. When you recycle vinyl, there's a lot of other chemicals you have to add into the mix during the recycling process that end up um, going back into our built environment once you install these, these floors. However, virgin vinyl, never used before, freshly manufactured vinyl, that's really hard. Uh, you can get vinyls that are free of phthalate release, that are free of, of um, VOCs, free of formaldehyde, because they're not being mixed with all these chemicals to help the recycling. So um, now from a human health standpoint, I can argue that some of these vinyl floors made are actually completely harmless to humans in that usable state in their home. The downside is every bit of plastic that was ever made since plastics were invented still exists. What do you do with it? Well, then you recycle it, you make the environmentalists happy, but then you poison the occupants, whoever is using it. So that's, this is one area that I see. The other area is when manufacturers use it and make something completely different out of it. Um, you know, a company like Patagonia that wins award after award every year for taking plastics out of the ocean, you know, plastics off of beaches is plastics are typically, you know, plastic water bottles and soda bottles. And they, they recycle it, they melt it down, they spin it into a product called eco fleece, which is essentially a fabric made from recycled water bottles. The chemist who originally invented that plastic back in the, in the thirties or forties, I believe wrote that this product should never come in contact with human skin because it, it will actually leach into the blood system, create what are called trihalomethanes and eat the body from the inside out. So under the guise of environmental friendliness, we're poisoning ourselves. So I agree with you. These plastics shouldn't exist in the beginning. We should not be using these for anything, but this is the world we live in now. And until somebody somewhere can, and this is starting to happen, there are, start, there are composites being made from, um, from corn, ethanol. There are materials being made from hemp. Um, you know, some of these vinyl floors that I know of, the core is no longer plastic or, or um, wood fibers mixed with formaldehyde. It's actually limestone. So there are, there are these composites being made. 
science will catch up. Right now, though, I try to avoid anything recycled because of that issue. Um, there are some exceptions. There are some products out there that use some recycled plastics that do not off-gas whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to, again, do a lot of research and find those materials. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that makes me think of activewear. You know, everyone thinks they're doing the right thing by buying the recycled plastic um, oh, yeah. materials, but actually better to get virgin and stick to your shopping bag made out yes. of recycled plastic. Exactly right. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I, I want to finish our conversation by um, really injecting a good bit of hope here to finish um, because, yes, it can be scary to learn about all this stuff. I, I get it. I've been coaching people for 10 years on these topics. Um, but what are you most excited about? What have you seen in the fact that you're seeing literally every new thing come out onto the market for people to either renovate or build uh, or furnish their homes. Are you seeing any positive trends that you're like, oh my gosh, we are finally getting it when it comes to this type of product? Sure. I, that's a great question because I, I do believe that um, first off, I get accused sometimes of, of uh, scaring people. And, <laughs> the doomsday you know, guy. I'm, yeah. I'm in the business of being honest. And so, yeah. uh, but I can honestly say that in 30 years of being in this industry and helping people, I have never been so excited for where we are. Uh, there was a time in the mid 2000s before it, there was a huge economic crash here in the States and the building industry just kind of stopped for about five years. Um, but this is when green building really started taking off and the U.S. Green Building Council and the LEED program and just really skyrocketed. And we were all excited about this industry. And then it just kind of stagnated there. Um, I can tell you and tell all your listeners that the one, the giant silver lining from the COVID pandemic is that individuals all over the world are finally starting to ask about their, their living environment. You know, regardless of why, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm saddened that it had to take such a horrible situation to get here, but people are now calling and saying, we're doing a remodeling project, you know, and we did something last year when everybody was home during the, the, the pandemic and we realized how dangerous it was. Do you have anything else that maybe won't be so dangerous? And, and I, so out of this horrible pandemic, we're finding that people are finally starting to get it. So the hope is more people are asking about it. I would say the awareness of the built environment is 10 times greater than it was last year at this time, and which was 10 times greater than the year before that. And so for all of these years in business, I can see, you know, our level of business going up and up and up and more people calling and more people inquiring the last two years, it's just a steady growth. And that's because people are starting to get it. Um, so because of that, contractors, manufacturers, large corporations are going to have to listen. The more people that ask about this, the more people who push this at the retail level, 
um, the faster we're going to get to a situation where all companies are looking out for us. Um, and so, again, I just think that from a healthy building environment or a potential for healthy building environments, we have never been in as good of a situation as we are today. Mm. Well, that's a beautiful, positive <laughs> finishing note. And I think, yeah, exactly. We've never spent as much time at home as we have the last couple of years. Um, and people can talk about the downsides of that, but I completely agree with you that a positive is, hold on, I feel worse when I'm at home. As soon as I go for that daily walk, uh, that's when I feel my best. Exactly. And uh, we shouldn't feel unwell at home. We should actually feel completely fine. Uh, so thanks to the you, The home Andy. should be our sanctuary. Mm. You know, the home should be the place where you go home and you finally do get a chance to rest and relax and heal mm. from what has poisoned us throughout the day. And, and, you know, even further than that, the bedroom of the home yeah. needs to be the healthiest room in the entire space. Absolutely. Um, gosh, well, we didn't talk about the bedroom much. Now I feel like <laughs> I need to ask you that question. What, what is your favorite mattress? Let's finish there. Oh my goodness. Uh, I have several, but, um, I, there's a brand out there that I've been, I actually, I've been sleeping on myself for the last year. I absolutely love it. Uh, it's a product called Migraine Mattress. It's made in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I actually visited the manufacturing facility um, during the COVID lockdown. I got a chance to go out and, and talk to the owner of the company. And I watched the products being made myself. Um, I, I had him walk me around the manufacturing facility and, I, and he answered every question I had. And I was blown away by how clean of environment was. There was no smell. Uh, and, and so I, I really got to love that product. Now, beyond that, I'm a big fan of using any natural latex mattress versus anything that's synthetic. I'm not a fan of synthetics whatsoever because synthetics don't breathe. Um, synthetics, generally speaking, are food sources for mold unless they're treated with pesticides which a lot of them are and so let's just avoid that completely and go to the, the natural organic materials absolutely i always say if you see antifungal written on something yes. it usually means they've sprayed the crap out of it with yes, something exactly to stop something growing so Agreed. that is a Agreed. big big red flag right Okay, awesome. So we're going to sleep well at night. We're going to paint our house with healthy materials. We're going to choose our cabinetry a little better. I know we could talk forever about every item in the home, but your podcast also covers so many aspects as do the resources you put out. So thank you, Andy, for joining me on the show today. It has been my pleasure. Believe me. <laughs> it's been wonderful. <laughs> Uh, I feel like it's one of those chats where I end up with more questions than when I started. And so I, I can feel a part two coming on. Oh, I look forward to it. That'd be yeah, great. Sounds like a plan. Excellent. Thank you, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Low Talks Life. 
uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.